For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for another restful episode of True Scary Stories to Help You Fall Asleep. Today, we're going to be reading True Thanksgiving Horror Stories. I hope you enjoy them. I also want to thank Booze and Booze, who's a really good friend of the channel, for narrating the first story in this video. The link to his channel will be in the description down below. Make sure you go check him out. And also make sure that you like, comment, and subscribe on this video. It really does help out so much. Thank you all so much for watching. And without further ado, lay back, relax, and enjoy these true scary stories. This one's fairly mild, more bizarre than anything. This was a couple of years ago on the night before Thanksgiving. I was home but had just gone to bed 15 minutes before this actually happened. It was around 1am. My now husband came and woke me up to tell me what just happened. So I'm going to relay the story as he told it to me. He wasn't ready to come to bed with me just yet. I was sitting in the living room watching TV. He heard the front doorknob moving because someone was trying to come in. No knock or anything. Just literally tried to come inside. Our door was locked, so the person was obviously unsuccessful. He peeked out the window and saw a silhouette. And after they'd walked about halfway down our walkway, he opened up the door slightly. It was a young girl, maybe in her early 20s. He said something along the lines of, uh, hello, do you need help? She turned around to look at him and completely fell, busted her ass because it was icy out. She seemed quite possibly drunk and not talking clearly and unsteady. She said she was okay and then said, Oh, this isn't my grandma's house. Didn't say anything else and just proceeded to walk away. A couple of reasons this was strange was our house is my grandparents' former house and had been there since it was built in 1960. As in, it's not like we just moved in and this was her grandma's house a few months earlier. In her drunk state, maybe she just forgot or something. She just tried to walk right in and that baffles me. Because if our door had been unlocked, she would have walked into a stranger's house at 1am. And that could be very dangerous, obviously, for multiple reasons. This wasn't the case, but she could have walked into somebody's house who could have harmed her. Amongst other bad ways, this could have played out. We know our neighbors pretty well, and this wouldn't have been any of the closest ones. The whole thing was just very strange.
This is a weird story that happened back when I was a teenager. My grandparents had a really small farm located in a small hollow. It wasn't a commercial farm, just something they had to support themselves. However, when they got older and it was more difficult for them to maintain the farm, they quit using the barn. It just sort of sat there and was used as a storage area mainly. Every Thanksgiving and Christmas, we would go to our grandparents' house. This story takes place on Thanksgiving. I was 15 years old, and that's the age where I began to not enjoy hanging out with the adults in the family anymore. Suddenly, listening to the stories of when I was a kid or when my parents were kids was just not that entertaining anymore. We had Thanksgiving dinner early. It was about 2 p.m. Afterward, I was beginning to feel a bit antsy. I let my parents know that I was going to explore the hollow a little bit. It had been a while since I had done so. I didn't even think of asking my younger brother and sister if they wanted to go. It was fine because, honestly, I felt like being by myself. I knew that I didn't really have a lot of time to explore before it got dark. So I set out and made sure that I knew how far I could go and still get back before the sun had set. I didn't do the greatest job at it, though. If you've ever been out exploring the woods, you might probably know what I mean. You can easily get fascinated with the woods and hills and lose track of time. It got very, very dark before I was anywhere close to being home. By the time I got back to the farm, it had been dark for at least an hour. I had never been out of the barn when it was dark outside. It looked incredibly creepy. Being a teenage boy, I of course liked scary things. The thought then occurred to me that if the barn was creepy looking on the outside, it must be really creepy on the inside. I decided to check it out. Getting into the barn was simple. My parents rarely locked the door of their house, much less thought about locking the barn. They lived in a really safe area where crime was pretty much unheard of. The barn did have one of those heavy wooden locks on it. I honestly have no idea what they're called. But... I was able to pull the wooden beam up. When I opened the barn door, it made a horribly loud cracking noise. I knew my parents had likely not been in the barn for years, so I was surprised that I was able to get the door open at all. I figured the hinges had to be nearly rusted shut. As I mentioned, the barn was old, and even when it was in use, my grandparents would only have been in it during the day, so there was no light. Thank God that I live in the area of smartphones, though, because I, of course, had a flashlight on my smartphone. I turned on the flashlight and just marveled at the creepiness. If dark is creepy, then just a minor amount of light is much creepier. I was fascinated by all of the tools. So many sharp implements. Most of them were hanging up. However, there was a small hatchet lying on a workbench. It was discolored. And upon closer inspection, I realized that it was coated in dry blood. I don't know much about slaughtering animals, but I knew that my grandparents used to do it often. Chickens and pigs and stuff. So I figured that the hatchet was used for that purpose, and they just never cleaned it. The barn had a loft that was filled with hay. I decided to climb the ladder and check it out. When I was shining the light around, it reflected off of something buried in the hay. I was wondering if it was another tool or something and decided to check it out. Going over to it, I began moving the hay. I screamed when the empty eye sockets of a long dead corpse were staring directly at me. 
I fell backwards and nearly fell off of the loft. I quickly climbed down the ladder and ran out of the barn without closing the door. I rushed into the house and told my parents and grandparents about what I had seen. My father, a huge man, like Hulk Hogan-sized, really went out to confirm what I told him. My grandparents phoned the sheriff's office. The body had been in the loft for about three years. It had several hatchet wounds on it, and the police told us were caused by the hatchet that I had seen on the bench. The hatchet that I had picked up. So not only had I found a dead body, but I held an actual murder weapon in my hand. That was truly disturbing to me. But it wasn't nearly as disturbing as the realization that my grandparents had that they lived in the house for three years without knowing that a dead body was in the barn. No one was ever caught, and we to this day have no idea who killed that man or why. I thought that going to college right out of high school was intimidating. I came from a small town, went to a huge college with an enrollment of over 50,000 students. It was crazy to me how active the campus was all of the time. If I thought that that was a culture shock though, it was nothing compared to what happened during Thanksgiving break. I didn't have the kind of money to be able to go home, so I remained in my dorm room alone during the break. I didn't realize that this also had me one of the few people not only alone in the dorm building, but on the entire campus. What had so recently been just a metropolis of people became a barren wasteland. If the loneliness wasn't enough, a snowstorm hit the night before Thanksgiving. I recall waking up in the morning at about 7 a.m. and looking out across a completely barren and desolate campus. Now, I suppose this doesn't seem weird at all, but it was a complete shock to me. Honestly, I spent the entire day on Wednesday in my dorm room, looking out over the campus. I didn't really have the nerve to go out. However, I guess I began getting stir-crazy on Thanksgiving. I had gotten myself a frozen turkey dinner that I was going to make in my microwave, but I really wanted to get out. There was a Denny's on campus, so I thought that I would go and have dinner there. The dinner went fine, but I was uneasy because there was another guy in the restaurant who wouldn't stop staring at me. It made me really uncomfortable. I normally like to take my time in a restaurant, but I couldn't bring myself to do that here. So immediately after I was done, I left. Walking home, I nervously kept looking over my shoulder. It didn't take long before I noticed that the guy was following me, and he was walking faster than I was. By the time I had gotten to the dormitory doorway, he was already up the front steps. He called for me to hold the door for him, but I didn't. He seemed pretty old for a person living in the dorms, but if he was a student, he would have an electronic key card to let him in. I looked back as I went up the stairs and saw him standing in the foyer. I'm not sure how much later it was but I heard a knocking on my door. I got up and looked out the peephole and was surprised to see the man from outside standing in front of my door. I wasn't sure how he had gotten in, nor how he found my room. Rather than acknowledge him, however, I went back to my desk quietly. 
He knocked a few more times and then left. About five hours later, I heard another knock at the door. At first, I, of course, expected it to be that man again. However, when I looked at the peephole, it was the campus police. I let them in. One of the other students that was in my dorm building had gotten attacked earlier in the day, and they wanted to know if I had seen anything suspicious. I explained my experience to them. They had arrested a suspect, and I had to go with them to see if I could identify the person. It indeed was the man who had followed me home from Denny's. He apparently had gone door to door knocking and hadn't known where I was. He eventually came across someone who opened their door, and the person who did paid a terrible price. I want this story to be anonymous, so I'm not even going to tell you where it happened. What I do have to tell you is that the city it happened in has a really large Thanksgiving Day parade every year. I'd never been to one of them before, but I always watched it on television. I went ahead and decided to go one year. I couldn't find anyone who wanted to go with me. None of my family or friends wanted to spend Thanksgiving standing in the cold, I guess. By the time I had gotten to the parade route, it was already packed. I was worried whether or not I would be able to see that well. I'm not particularly tall, but I was able to find a spot behind another group of people that gave me a pretty good view of the parade route. I hadn't been there very long when I noticed someone who for some reason just caught my eye. I can't say there was anything unusual about him really. He was rather big, a little unkempt, but there was just something about him. I, in fact, found myself continuously looking over at him. A few times that I was looking at the man, he caught me looking. As most people do when they're caught looking at someone, I quickly looked away each time. But even so, my curiosity got me to eventually start looking in his direction again. After a while, I could tell that he was getting annoyed. I resolved to try harder to not look at him, but that just made it worse. After a while, I looked at the man again and noticed that he was closer to me than he had been before. I didn't think about it at first because we were in a big crowd watching a parade. People moving around in the crowd were in no way unusual. But the more I glanced over at him, the closer and closer to me he kept moving. He was doing it casually though, making his way around other people. He was definitely coming in my direction. To test and see what he would do, I made my own way through the crowd towards the back of the sidewalk. I glanced at him and he immediately switched course to keep coming towards me. I was convinced that he was coming at me and I was mildly alarmed. However, I kept telling myself that it wasn't anything to worry about. I was in at a parade with thousands of people. If the guy was going to try and hurt me, he would get caught pretty quickly. I guess that's the problem with assumptions though. They really don't take all possible scenarios into account. The man did make his way over. There was only one person separating us when he stopped and went back to looking at the parade. I relaxed a bit, but when the man separating us moved, the guy moved up against me. I was about to move before I felt something sharp against my back. He had a knife, and probably because we were in a big crowd, 
he was able to hide the fact that he was holding it up against my back. To any bystanders, he looked like a normal guy in a crowd watching the parade. He asked me why I was staring at him over and over. I was too scared to speak at first, but when he asked again and moved the knife, I apologized, telling him that I didn't mean to stare. I didn't know why I was looking at him. He told me that he didn't believe me and asked how much McMahon was paying me. I had no idea what he was talking about or who McMahon was, but he didn't believe me. He kept pushing on the knife and told me that I had better tell him the truth. I heard my voice crack and I pled to the guy to leave me alone and that I didn't know what he was talking about. I guess my words were somehow heard over the noise of the parade because two guys looked at us and then asked the guy what he was doing. I really thought that he was going to stab me, then and there, but I guess he figured that he would never be able to do it and then get away in this crowd. He slipped the knife away, didn't answer the two men and took off. They didn't go after him. They just made sure that I was all right. To this day, I have no idea who McMahon was, but it doesn't matter. I've been much more careful not to stare at people, though. When I was around 10, Thanksgiving was hosted at my house. There was already some family drama between two of my aunts from years before. They refused to attend the same parties and never wanted to speak of the other or about anything involving my cousins. I was much older when I finally knew why. Apparently, Aunt A thought that Aunt B was trying to sleep with her husband when Aunt B denied the accusation, claiming that they were just good friends. Aunt A refused to ever speak to Aunt B again and vice versa. Anyways, Thanksgiving at my house this particular year, a truce was set and everyone was invited for dinner. Naturally, each aunt was in their separate corner with their kids and each generally ignored one another. But there weren't any slight glances or whispered insults, so we had dinner in peace. Now the drama begins. Aunt B decided to leave the party first. She said her farewells and grabbed her kids to load them in the car. My mom, a few more aunts, and cousins went out with her to thank her for coming and being a good sport. Her eldest son, my least favorite cousin, was approached by a little girl walking his way from across the street. She said hello and asked if so-and-so was his dad. He said yeah, and she straight up said, He's my dad too. You're my brother. Dead silence. Everyone knew that it was true except for my aunt and her kids. The reason I didn't like this cousin was because he was just like his dad. Arrogant, stubborn, macho, etc. The apple did not fall far from the tree. Whenever her husband came to drink at parties without his wife, he'd laugh about all of his affairs and the hush money that he paid to keep the other kids fed. He mocked the man who was raising his kids as his own and who knew his wife was openly unfaithful. I had no doubts that my cousin would be just as scummy when he grew up. He made a disgusted face and told her that she was too dirty and full of fleas to be anything special. She started crying and Aunt B called her a little liar and that she needed to go back home instead of spreading lies. She shoved my cousin in the car and drove away. The girl ran back home 
We were all shocked into silence, but my mom was angry. She immediately went to Aunt A and demanded to know if she'd been the one to orchestrate everything. She denied it, but for someone who loved gossip, she was very cool about the whole thing. Everyone knew. After everyone left, I asked my mom why no one ever told Aunt B about her unfaithful husband and the other kids, but my mom told me that she'd known for a long time. I thought they'd get a divorce for sure after that day, but everything went on like it always did, and my cousin still thinks that that girl is lower than dirt on his shoes. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. So I'm a male nurse at a large hospital in San Francisco. I work in the ER, and as is custom, Thanksgiving night was very busy. Now my wife is also a nurse for the same hospital. She works in labor and delivery. Between babies being born left and right and the people coming into the ER, we hadn't had a chance to take a break together, as we try to do every shift. So when she called, I figure it was to say she wanted to meet up for a bite to eat in the cafeteria. When I answered, I heard in the background a male voice screaming profanities and my wife, who was fluent in Spanish, trying to calm this guy down. She told me their pager wasn't working and they needed security stat. I quickly hung up, called for security, told my fellow nurses what was going on and ran for labor and delivery, worried sick about my wife. When I ran almost square smack dab into this visibly angry man. He wasn't huge, but he definitely worked out, and not at the gym. He was covered in prison tattoos, and he was obviously a gangbanger. I worked out regularly, but I knew that this guy could kick my butt. He looked at me, gave me this sick grin, and started heading towards me, sprouting off in Spanish. I backed out as fast as I could. I start buzzing the door to the ER frantically for them to let me in. This guy's literally a foot away from me and the door opens and I'm pulled into safety by a doctor. The gangbanger punches the door a few times, making a dragging sign across his throat while grinning at us both. Next thing I know, the police rush in the corridor and it takes two security officers and two cops to subdue this dude. I finally make it to my wife who thankfully was shaken up but unhurt. She explained to me what happened. A young girl... Only 14 years old came in, high fever, vomiting, distended belly. The banger claimed he was her brother, and they needed to cut her open to get her baby. They did an ultrasound, and to their horror, they realized she wasn't pregnant, but she had bags of drugs in her stomach. It's very common for drug mules to bring over young women from Mexico carrying drugs that way. Homeboy freaked out when they informed him his sister needed emergency surgery, and no, he wasn't getting his drugs. Thankfully, the girl survived. But the sad thing is, 
she'll most likely get deported once she recovers. So gangbanger who wanted to kill me on Thanksgiving night, let's never meet again. I've been lurking on this subreddit for a while and wanted to share my story. It was Thanksgiving 2011, and I was celebrating at my grandparents' farm in the little town of Seville, Florida. It's north of Deland. I had way too much to eat that holiday and was about to leave to drive back to school in Tallahassee. I stopped at the one little gas station in town to fill up before getting on the highway. I had just finished filling up when a lady walked up to me. She was really ratty looking with crazy blonde dyed hair, but this is the backwoods of Florida, so no judgment. There were really kind people who looked like that in those parts. She started talking to me about her car and how it had run out of gas. She pointed to an old junker parked over near the convenience store and asked if I could possibly give her some cash to get home. I usually don't say yes to things like that, but it was Thanksgiving weekend so I was feeling a little extra generous. I told her that I'd be happy to fill her car a little bit to get her home when it started getting weird. She kept insisting I give her cash and that the car was so empty she couldn't drive it to a pump. I don't know why I didn't leave right there and then, but again, I was in a very good mood. I told her if she had a gas can, I would put some in it, but I didn't feel comfortable giving her cash. She kept objecting, but eventually went over and pulled a gas can from her car. I started filling it up. She put her hand on me and said, You have a girlfriend? I told her no politely. She said she wanted to pay me back somehow for the gas and asked if I wanted to come to her place. I told her no, less politely this time. She kept touching my shoulder thanking me, and then offered me a BJ behind the station. So I stopped the gas pump, got in my car and left her there with the gas can. I called my mom a little later and told her about the creepy, sleazy encounter. She paused and asked me if this lady had ratty blonde hair and looked like she was on drugs. I confirmed that yes, that was what she looked like and how could she have known that? This lady was apparently all over the news. She was a prostitute in town and had been at a party earlier. An exchange had gone south and Her baby had been kidnapped by a client of hers and left under a bush in town. She hadn't even bothered to call the police about the missing child until later. They were both arrested and charged. And I can provide the news stories if anyone needs proof. TLDR, prostitute solicits me for money while her child has been kidnapped by a client. Thanksgiving night a couple years ago, I was sitting in my parents' family room watching a movie when my younger sister burst through the door hysterical. I asked her what was wrong, but she was panicking to the point that she couldn't speak. She just kept trying to call her boyfriend. After calming down, she explained to us that while she was driving home on a dark, somewhat secluded road, a couple of creeps began harassing her. They were driving uncomfortably close behind her, and then they tried running her off the road. She called her boyfriend who came to her rescue by getting the guy's attention. 
My sister made it home, but she was worried about her boyfriend because he wasn't answering his phone. After calling again and again, he finally picked up his phone. My sister overheard some of the conversation he was having with these jerks, and she heard someone say something about a gun. She freaked out, and my parents called the police and took her down to meet with her boyfriend and the cop. Apparently, the guys were drunk and had pulled a gun on her boyfriend. They found them and hopefully punished them accordingly. People are idiots. When I, an 18-year-old female at the time, was a freshman in college, I had a class with a guy who seemed very socially awkward. I can't remember how or why he got my Snapchat, but it happened. And after a couple of days of talking, that's when I knew something was up. He would Snapchat me constantly asking weird questions. It got to the point where I completely ignored him for days at a time, and he just kept sending message. The main thing I remember about this guy happened after Thanksgiving break. I lived in a co-ed dorm with two roommates. Of course, he lived in that dorm, but on a different floor. I remember doing laundry the day I came back, which was the last day of break and the day before classes resumed. And thank God my roommates came back a few hours before me. I had been in my room for about 20 minutes before I went down to start my laundry. When I came back up, my roommates told me that this guy had knocked on my door, asking where I was because he saw me coming back to the dorm from my car in the parking lot. He wanted to hang out, despite him and I never hanging out before besides interacting in our classes together. Luckily, they lied to him and said I drove somewhere. They were visibly freaked out for me, and this was the first time I genuinely became scared of this guy. A couple days later, he approached me in the dining hall after I had blocked him on Snapchat. I went back to my friends at our table and told them he tried talking to me, and the next day, we made the school aware of what was happening. Nothing serious was ever done. They just said they would keep an eye on him, but things subsided after that. I'm now 22 with a fiancé, and I wish I would have handled this situation differently. I was much more soft-spoken back then, and I hate thinking about what could have happened if he would have caught me alone somewhere. If something similar were to happen now, I am confident that I would call them out or be able to defend myself the moment I felt weird about it. The first part of my story takes place just before Thanksgiving in 2018. I was living in an apartment, a 22-year-old male with two women that are around the same age. I was taking the dog out when several large dudes with really generic, junky drug dealer face tattoos came out of the woods behind the complex and started asking me, Hey man, what's up with these apartments? I replied, I don't know, what do you mean? People live in them? They've got wood floors? He got crappy and asked for a number. Can't remember which one, but I don't think that number actually existed in my complex and probably wanted to find a place in the complex over. Anyway, after I tell them I can't help them, I drag my dog inside and mention what happened to my roommates who look out the window and see this. One of them says she saw them coming and going for at least a couple of hours, so we dialed 911. As we're on the phone, 
about four dudes leave in a white pickup, while another two wait with two women. The white pickup ends up coming right back, and then four cop cars follow. They're lined up, searched, drugs and guns were found, a few get arrested. Anyway, a couple days later, I come back on Thanksgiving night to find my door is all dented and stuff. Thankfully, it locked with a deadbolt and was a massive steel door, as my roommate was upstairs asleep. I asked her what happened to the door, and she came down and saw and was horrified. We called the police, and they did their thing and bailed. Me and my roommates are convinced that it was some of those junkies trying to mess with us for getting them busted. This was a strange encounter. It was very scary at the time, but when I tell people this story, they usually don't think it was something to freak out about. Last Thanksgiving, I was driving home from college with my friend. Both of us were 21-year-old females at the time. I live in a very isolated part of Arkansas that requires driving through an hour of hairpin turns in the mountains. There are lots of blind turns, and the whole time you're driving on the edge of huge drop-offs with no barriers. I'm usually pretty confident driving through the mountains, but we were in my friend's car, so I was going slower than usual, driving about five or so over the speed limit. Almost as soon as we started the roughest part of the drive, another car was tailgating us pretty close. This was stressing me out, and as soon as I saw somewhere I could pull over, I did. I pulled over into a church parking lot, and my friend offered to drive the rest of the way, but I declined as it was completely dark and she had never driven this route before. We get back on our way, and a few minutes later I have to come to a screeching halt as there a car stopped in the middle of the road. It wasn't on the shoulder at all, just stopped dead in the middle of the road. My friend is saying that they must have broken down, but can't call a tow because there's no service in this area. I immediately have a bad feeling and lock all the doors. I tell my friend to stay in the car no matter what. She's starting to get scared at this point and points out that she thinks it was the car that was following us. I can't tell, but I'm very scared at this point. It's parked right before a hairpin turns, so I can't pass it. My friend starts frantically telling me to go ahead and pass it, but I don't want to get hit by a Mack truck or fall off the mountain. I honk my horn. Nothing happens. No chance of calling for help is there's no cell service. We wait there for a while doing nothing. My friend is crying and freaking out, but I'm too scared to try and pass them. I honk a couple times and eventually a guy gets out of the car, comes around back and leans against his car just staring at us. My friend is freaking out even more and I'm just frozen. I tell her not to make eye contact. I'm ready to floor it if he does anything, but he just stands there, staring. He's not checking his car or anything. I try to stay calm and pray that another car will come along soon. This goes on for what seems like forever, but was probably only about 15 minutes. He's casually leaning against the back of his car, looking at us. Eventually, we see car lights in our rear view, and then the guy jogs to his door and gets back in his car. He speeds off, going dangerously fast. So there was nothing wrong with his car. I start driving, not wanting to cause a wreck. We don't see anything else for a while, but we pass the same car parked along the highway a while later and it pulls back on and starts tailing us again. 
I try to speed up and get rid of him, but he keeps following me. We have cell service at this point, but I don't know if we should call the cops because nothing really happened. I call home and tell my brothers what's going on and tell them to wait on the porch for us. The car follows me all the way home, down the really long drive to my house. I get to my house and my two brothers are waiting on the porch holding their deer rifles. I pull in and the car just goes out to the end of the drive, loops around and speeds back off the way it came. We tried to see its plates, but we couldn't make them out. Me and my friend were really freaked out. But when I told other friends the whole story, they didn't even think it was a big deal. My friend Connor has a girlfriend who lives a few hours away, and her mom reads all of her texts, so they generally stick to Skype. Well, after a while, his girlfriend Ellie wants to introduce him to her Skype friends. This is a group of people who met in various places across the internet, who have those awful, terrible chats that you can't keep up with. Then she introduces him to Jack. Jack is the epicenter of the group. Connor mentions to me in passing a few times over a month, and then he finally messages me one night and says, I need to talk to you. So we talk, and he tells me what Jack's been saying. Jack is what I refer to as a liar, crazy, legit. And I estimate the odds of each of those at 50, 49, 1. See, Jack claimed to be a supernatural being, which I'd normally laugh off, Except, he's got a group of hapless people convinced of this. And Connor describes the group dynamics and its red flags all around for controlling behavior. And well, it's sort of my specialty, dealing with people like Jack. But Connor doesn't want to stir up trouble, because he's non-confrontational. I don't have similar inhibitions. So one night, C invites me into the group chat, which is ominously dubbed The Truth. Cults have a collective belief in varying levels in something. In this case, the truth about Jack. The first thing anyone says to me is, Did you get Jack's permission? Every alarm bell in my system goes off. Connor and I both play dumb. Slowly, hesitantly, a few other members of the group, all strangers to me, start saying hello. Not welcoming me. Not asking me how I know Connor. Not trying to explain that the chat is kind of private. Just tentative hellos. The girl who first demanded to know if Jack gave me permission to join announces she's asked Jack if I'm allowed to stay. Connor, meanwhile, is messaging me about group dynamics. The only non-believer Connor knows of is King, who's vocal about his problems with Jack. I talk to King, who tells me the other person who doesn't believe is the girl who challenged me about entering the room. Red flag number one. Someone who doesn't believe Jack is still the first to challenge outsiders. Colts don't appreciate outsiders. That's about when Jack arrives. He's likable, don't get me wrong. He's good at what he does. I think for about 30 minutes that he's too good for me to be any use. But I'm a writer, so I can commit to a character pretty well, and he buys into my Southern Bell act. Once he invites me to a private chat, I'm immediately told that I can ask him anything without fear of repercussions. Dude lives 600 miles from me. 
what the F kind of repercussions could there be? So I talked to King and the girl who challenged me. And it turns out he's doing something else that's seen in cults. He's using threats and fear to get people to obey him. Something about being sold into magical slavery if he doesn't protect me. I'm going to pause here to say the people who don't believe Jack are the most emotionally stable ones. They're abuse victims and depressed teenagers in this little group. They're smart, but they have two options. Believe Jack or lose friends. Anyway, back to the circle of creepy. Jack's Skype mood is going to kill my brother. I inquire. He tells me that his brother stabbed him with a sword and sides with their father, whom Jack hates. Half of this guy's lore comes from Dresden Files. For a creepy would-be cult leader, he really sucks at lying. So I mark him down for dysfunctional IRL family and possible violent tendencies. I then lure Jack into a trap. I won't bore you with the details, but I get irrevocable, screenshotted proof that he's a lying liar who lies. Not delusional and not legit. I let Jack know the jig is up. His retaliation? He decides he should ban me and Connor from the group. But before he can, I go off on a nice little tangent in the group chat about a Criminal Minds episode where a cult leader kicks out anyone who challenges him, lest the others be swayed. But it doesn't end there. Oh no. Jack returns to the group chat with a sob story, and I let him stew, because I've been slowly working my way through the group, ripping off the Jack is a liar who lies and manipulates and you really shouldn't tell this guy your real name no really band-aid. I go to talk to King, who tells me that his fellow non-believer, Challenger, has a picture of Jack's ID. Because I believe in having leverage, I do some totally legal digging into this guy, who has an unfortunately unique surname. Dear Jack's mom, you should really change your Facebook security settings. Some fun facts about Jack. His little brother is a jock. Better looking. Mesomorph body. Athletic. Popular. You get the picture. Jack is none of these things. His mom stops talking about her eldest son quite suddenly. No more pictures of Jack. Not a single mention of Jack since he was 18. So I made a note of it and moved on with my background check. But then I noticed something. An arrest. Not unusual, except before the arrest date, he and his brother are equally pictured in their mom's Facebook. And then, nothing. I can't figure it out until I'm talking to Jack, distracting him and letting him talk himself in circles. I see his mood again. Gonna kill my brother. Dear God, I think. Remembering that every lie holds a kernel of truth. He actually has a brother he wants to kill. I ask him why he was arrested, even though I feel it in my gut that I'm right. Assault, he says. On who? On my brother. I need confirmation on a few other things before I present the facts to the group. Still called the truth. Even as more members sit behind their computers marveling at the irony. So I keep talking to him. To make sure that I had the right jack. And I'm not dealing with a catfish creep. We video chatted. It is him. Mugshot and ID confirm. He keeps asking me questions. Where do I live? 
What do I do for a living? And how old am I? What's your full name? I, like Jack, have one of those last names that are incredibly rare. He could find it if he Googled me. At any point, Jack could do five minutes of Googling and find my full name, first, middle, and last. Anyway, I told the group chat about Jack lying that day and shut down his manipulative attempts to garner sympathy. Now, he says he's dying, and his father's a mobster, and his brother is his adoptive brother. Except, there's no one around for this equally BS story. He's trying to convince me. Just me. So that's how I spent my Thanksgiving. Dealing with a would-be cult leader, trying to save other teenagers from his lies. My story takes place in November of 2004. I remember that specifically because George W. Bush had just won his second term as the U.S. president. I was around nine years old at the time. I'm 25 years old now. Yet this memory has always stayed vividly in the forefront of my mind. I can remember it like it was yesterday, and it still makes me so uneasy to think about. I've never spoken about it to anyone until now. It was a regular school day for me. It was the Friday before Thanksgiving break, and our school gave us a whole week off for it. I was particularly excited for that weekend because my parents were allowing my best friend to stay over for the weekend. It's all I could think about that day. I was a pickup student. This meant that for me to leave the school, a relative or guardian had to be on their records with a signature in order to pick me up. I was too anxious to ride the bus, and I was much too anxious to walk home alone despite living in a friendly small town. That day, my grandma was supposed to pick me up from school. Both my parents were working late, so I was going to go to her house and my mom was going to pick me up there before work. Well, you might be able to tell where this one's going to go. By the time school was out, my grandma was nowhere to be seen. I waited in the lobby for 30 minutes. By this point, it was empty, besides the janitor mopping the lobby floor. I was getting nervous my grandma forgot to pick me up, So I went up to tell the office lady that my ride never showed up. I was a nervous kid and I didn't know what was happening. The lady was really nice. She sat me down in the office and tried to call my grandma. No luck. She tried calling my parents, who said grandma should have been there already. My mom said she reminded her this morning and would try calling her. She was at work for a few more hours and couldn't come get me yet. It was probably 4 p.m. at this point. I had been at a school an extra hour and I was really scared. I was all alone with the office lady and I could tell she was frustrated. Everyone had already gone home and she couldn't get on with her week off because of me. At one point, the janitor walked into the office. It instantly smelled like cigarettes when he walked in. He stared right at me. He was a tall, husky man. Long, greasy brown hair with a bit of a screwed up face and lopsided nose. That was the first time I had ever seen this man. I never had seen him around school before. Considering the small town I was from, it was weird that I didn't recognize him. His presence instantly made me nervous. I'll never forget what he looked like. He struck up a conversation with the office lady. I remember this part clearly. He asked her what she was still doing here. 
she told him and then nodded in my direction. He looked at me intently and sat down next to me. I can still smell cigarettes to this day. Hey kid, bet you're excited about Thanksgiving break. Bet you're excited for family time too. <laughs> me too. Listen, your grandparents is right on the way to my house. I know her. And your grandpa too. I'd love to give you a ride over there. I know right where it is, he said to me. He continued. I know it's scary to feel lost, but I'd love to help you out. He smiled at me. I looked over at the office lady. She looked gleeful that she wouldn't have to wait another hour with me for my mom to get here. She said, why, that would be great. My husband is waiting for me to get home now. He stood up and said, great. Without my permission, he grabbed my hand, pulled me out of my seat and said, let's get going then. Grandma must be worried about you. I shivered. I thought about what he said. He said he knew my grandpa too. I didn't have a grandpa. He had passed long before I was born and divorced my grandma many years prior to that. I sat back down and shook my head without saying anything. He looked at me blankly, and the office lady looked disappointed. He walked out without saying anything. 5 p.m. rolled around, and my mom finally showed up to get me. Turns out my grandma had forgotten to set an alarm and was sleeping the whole time. When I went to my mom's car, I saw him again in the desolate staff parking lot smoking a cig. He looked in our direction, got his truck, and drove off. The thing that gives me shivers to this day is he didn't drive towards my grandma's house. He took a left out of the school, which would have taken you out of town and towards the city, the complete opposite of where he said he was going. I never saw him at school again. I had never seen him before that. I've cried thinking over this so many times. I remember I had nightmares for years where the office lady made him take me with him so she could go home sooner. I attributed this to my development of anxiety and paranoia later in life. So, Mr. Janitor, let's not meet again. My grandmother ran over herself with her SUV on Thanksgiving. I was on my way to the festivities when it happened, so I don't know the exact details, but she was getting out food from the back of her SUV, put it in neutral instead of park, and it slowly ran her over. The craziest part is that my family, who was all inside, didn't notice until they heard a bump against the house. The SUV made three loops before hitting the house. She ended up being fine, but now isn't allowed to go outside alone anymore on holidays. This story is now an old grandma moment in our family. My grandparents had a new oven and my grandmother had never made a turkey in it before. The turkey drippings somehow caught fire, and the kitchen filled up with smoke. We called 911, but by the time the fire department arrived, my dad and grandfather had put out the fire. So, when the firemen arrived, there was no more fire. They were really nice and understanding. My grandmother was mortified. 
My drunk aunt tried hitting on all of the firemen, even though she had a good 25 to 30 years on them. My cousin and I just stood in the front yard drinking beers in silence, watching it all play out. Fortunately, the turkey was fine, and dinner proceeded normally once everything settled down. My mother and grandmother had plans to go to a restaurant last year. My sister convinces them to go somewhere else at the last minute. Of course, this means no reservations, but my sister is convinced that it'll be fine, and they might have to just wait a few minutes for a table. I live in another state, so I get to experience all of this from a distance. They end up sitting at a bar while waiting for a table, having a few drinks and appetizers. After the second round of martinis, my mother looks over, and my grandmother is leaning back in her chair, completely limp and unresponsive. Everyone freaks out. Paramedics are called. Grandma is rushed to the ER. I'm 1,200 miles away when my mother calls to tell me what happened. At this point, Grandma is at the ER still unresponsive. Crazy low blood pressure and high heart rate. I'm ready to book plane tickets and rush to the airport when Mom calls back. Don't worry. Everything's okay. Your grandmother just got drunk. Her blood test came back completely normal, except with a blood alcohol content of 0.24, three times the legal limit. She was awake now, so I got to talk to her, and she was crying. I'm so sorry. I've ruined Thanksgiving. I assured her that she hasn't ruined Thanksgiving, and that everyone is just happy that she's okay. So, my grandma is 90 years old, about four foot eight and a hundred pounds. She hadn't eaten anything all day because she knew that they were having a big dinner. She also ordered another martini while no one was looking. So the second martini was actually her third. This turned into the perfect storm of really drunk grandma. My great-grandmother died at the table right as we were bowing our heads to pray on Thanksgiving. She had been slowly dwindling in health, so the whole family gathered together figuring that it was her last Thanksgiving. Little did we know how right we are. Her kids, their kids, and their kids' kids' family she hasn't seen in years. About 20 people all gathered around with her pushing up in her recliner. Food is stuffed on the table, and we bow our heads to pray. She was devoutly religious. Before we dig in, as we raise our heads and open our eyes, we find great-grandma slumped over, tongue lolling out dead. As someone started compressions and another person called an ambulance, my youngest cousin dug into her meal completely unaffected by the dead body. Anyways, a nice memory for Thanksgiving every year. Thank you so much for listening to all of the stories in this video. I hope you enjoyed them, and I also hope that you enjoy the extra rain at the end. Get a great night's sleep, everyone, and I'll read to you in the next video.
Good night, everybody.